The information and opinions presented in this ARC Energy Ideas podcast are provided for informational purposes only and are subject to the disclaimer link in the show notes. This is the ARC Energy Ideas podcast with Peter Terzakian and Jackie Forrest, exploring trends that influence the energy business. Welcome to the ARC Energy Ideas podcast. I'm Jackie Forrest. And I'm Peter Terzakian. Welcome. Well, it just seems like every day is like a month. Yeah, it's March 16th. We recorded a one week ago, and so much has happened from last week. Yeah, it's just changing by the hour now. We are hearing of news updates. Last night, we heard Calgary was now in a state of emergency. Today, we're hearing all sorts of news about cities and entire countries acting to contain gatherings. We've got border closures now in Canada. So that's the situation as we record. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really ramped up in Canada. And I I don't know about you, Peter, but work productivity is a challenge. There's just such a barrage of breaking news and consequential news. That's right. Um, It's really hard to, and and, and especially at a time when we've had this massive change in oil price and significant changes in the companies, but it's it's a real distraction. Now you got people closing their offices, having to work from home for the first time. So this is really... It's a difficult, difficult, disruptive, defining moment in our certainly recent human history. We are going to take you back to medieval Mm -hmm. times, but before we do that, let's let's just give people a bit of an update of where things are at in terms of, say, oil price and things that are relevant to our energy business, especially here in Alberta. Yeah. Let's talk about the stock market first, then we'll talk about oil demand supply, which there's been some changes since uh, we last talked, and what it means for the Canadian oil and gas industry. So overall, stock market is very volatile. Dow Jones, for example, is down about 20% versus March 6th, and markets are again off this morning, down about 8 or 9%. Yeah, Yeah. it's going to be volatile. I don't think this story is going to achieve any sense of stability for at least a couple more weeks. Yeah, and the oil and gas equities just got crushed last week, where the overall market was down about 20%. We saw almost double that for oil and gas equities in general, like down almost 40%. And some names down much more, like names down 60% or more. Like these stock prices for oil and gas equities were already at historical lows, and now we're dropping another 50%. They're they're just becoming de minimis. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the drivers. I mean, Obviously, demand falls off dramatically. Mm-hmm. We were conjecturing, I think, even on a previous podcast that we might lose you know, 20 30% of jet fuel demand. But now with transatlantic flights canceled, I think it could be even higher than that. Yeah. Look, the closures just, you can't even keep up with them, right? Like no. things like malls reducing hours, big stores like Apple closing, all People, these professional sports are closing. People working from home. I mean, the, yeah. com- the commuter market is not going to be affected for gasoline going yeah. back and forth. Large well, conferences. I know, Peter, for the first time in a long time, you have an open schedule. You I don't know what to do with yourself. I think I had nine speaking engagements canceled yeah. that week. So. And now we get these school closures, which yeah. have happened throughout North America, but hitting Alberta. Yeah. Uh, now, a lot of people have said, is this an overreaction? You know, I don't think it is. If We've been tracking, and I will put a link to the site because it's quite good. It's a site from the World Health Organization, and it updates daily the cases globally and then the aggregate. But they are just continuing to go up, like yeah. straight up. And uh, for example, in Canada, we had... 304 cases versus 77 this time last week. So yeah. we've had about a four times increase. So I think the governments are doing the right thing. It's yeah. hard on people. It's hard on kids. It's hard on everybody. But I think it's the right thing to be proactive here so we don't we end do. up like Italy. Yeah, we have yeah. to arrest the growth in the pandemic so that at least we have a chance to prepare our hospital systems and other infrastructure to be able to deal with 
with a lesser amount of emergency cases going forward. Yeah, flatten that curve. And I tweeted out this picture, mm-hmm. but it really shows if you don't do this, how the ramp up is so quick that it overwhelms cases, uh, the healthcare yeah. system. Yeah. But, you know, for me, just looking at this from the oil market, something I'm an expert at, not mm-hmm. uh, the healthcare system. This is just very consequential that it's moving into North America. And we're not always watching this because we're so captivated by the situation here. But in Europe, it's really picking up as well. And these are seriously big markets. Like the U.S. is 20 million barrels a day. China, for comparison, is 13 million barrel a day oil market. Mm -hmm. Europe is a 15 million barrel a day oil market. So if we see large parts of North America and Europe shutting down big parts of their economy, even if it isn't the industrial demand, but just like transportation and aviation, it will have a big impact on oil demand. Those numbers you just rattled off, just rough math, China plus Europe plus United States collectively is about half of world demand, 50 million barrels a day, roughly. Mm-hmm. Right. And so those are the ones where we're going to see certainly a mitigation of air, jet fuel demand, and commuter gasoline demand. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, some people are saying potentially on the 100 million barrel a day total that we could see up to a 10% drop, actually a contraction in this quarter coming up, Q2? Yeah, yeah 10 million. Yeah. Like we could be down to 90 million yeah. barrels a day of demand momentarily. I will say that that is one of the more extreme outlooks out there. But considering how what I'm seeing happening real time here, there's the potential for it, right? That would be about 10%. Just to put in perspective, a lot of the major airlines are talking about things like 75% of all their flights being canceled here in the next few weeks. And then you also have the commuting in North America is a big deal. Like 40% of all of that 20 million barrels a day of oil demand is from light duty vehicles, 8 million barrels a day. And so if a lot of people stop moving around, then yeah, it can be really consequential in US market. So we don't really have good visibility right now, but what we do know is that demand is falling off precipitously. It will ultimately eventually pick up again, but for the near term, that means that there's going to be a lot of oil entering into inventories. And then we have the exacerbating situation of the Saudi decision to start flooding the markets. Yeah. Just to put in perspective too, just last Monday when we talked, the IEA had come out with their oil market report and they had said in their worst case scenario, Q1 would be down 3 million barrels a day and Q2 would be down 0.25 0.25 million barrels a day over the same time mm. last year in terms of yeah. well, of we, the know, demand. We, we know a forecast is is worth about 24 hours nowadays. Because <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Now I was just looking before I came here. Most of the consensus views are kind of in that four to five million, and you like you said, mm. there is the odd one that's as high as 10 million. But uh, what a change in a week! Yeah, and um, we, you know it's very dynamic. We'll continue to monitor this because things can change again quickly as well. But the price signal travels fast, so let's. Yeah. Talk about the supply side. Well, supply is a tale of two stories, right? (laughs) It's uh, on the Russian and Saudi side, it's increasing, not because Mm -hmm. of economic reasons, but uh, geopolitical and political reasons. And then we are starting to see a reaction from non-OPEC producers. So maybe we'll just start with the Russia and Saudi. We talked about that last week, but what the new information is, they've kind of upped the ante after our podcast. Saudi, at the time of the podcast, I was assuming they were going to go up to maybe 10.5 from about the... 9.5 9.5 they were producing prior. The million barrels, million a, day. barrels a day. Yeah. Now they say they're going to go to 12.3, even though they've never sustainably produced that level. The highest they've ever produced was 10.7 million barrels who, a day. Who are they going to sell it to? Well, that's a good question, like, like, right? Okay, that's fine. You can crank up the output. 
but there's no buyers at the margin now. They're going to have to take out some storage tanks, you yeah. know, move, take it out of their yeah. storage because yeah. they're saying so, they're going to use their own storage. Yeah, I, I um, think if I had to guess, that I mean, there's no question. We talked about it. We've written about it, that the Russians pulled out of OPEC plus because they were tired of basically subsidizing the market share of the United States. Then the Saudis said, okay, we're boss. We're going to flood the market, flush out and try and bring some discipline back quickly. But I... I mean, that was only, what, like uh, a week ago? Mm-hmm. That, that was last Sunday. Th- th- yeah. <laughs> it's our Saturday. Okay, I don't yeah. think, to be honest, that they actually have predicted that the coronavirus situation would get this bad so fast. Yeah, right. a lot has changed in yeah. a week. That yeah. Now we're talking about 5 to 10 million barrels per day potential of oil demand contraction. That's a whole different level of supply and demand dynamics than when they first yeah, started. The, that's a good point. At, yeah, you know, when they made this announcement, the IEA shortly came out saying the worst case scenario for Q2 mm-hmm. was minus 0.25 million yeah, barrels a day. Yeah, yeah, like no, that's it's, a, it's another world. So right? I think that the price signal, you know, we went sub $30 there for a while. I think it perked up again. I don't know where Today we're at Today it right was now. actually down to 28 for a short yeah, time, yeah. and then it perked back up over 30 yeah. So at these levels and with these sorts of dynamics, it's going to be prudent to just watch what's going to happen. But I think that the the strategies may change a little bit. And the lower the price goes, the probability that we'll see some kind of market capitulation in action is is closer. Mm-hmm. But hey, I think uh, the next two, three months, really rough. Yeah, like this isn't going to be over in a few weeks. No, no, yeah. no, no. And I know, I know uh, you probably caught this, but they also, Saudi said that they want to increase their productive capacity up to 13 million barrels a day. Mm-hmm. The good news is I don't think they can do that no. in a few months. I think that's going to take some capital investment and time sure. uh, to do that. Now, on the other side of the producers, not on the OPEC side, on the non-OPEC side, we are seeing a dynamic response to the low oil prices. We've got lots of companies that have announced uh, in the U.S. and Canada cutting their capital spending. So that has is coming out even this morning. There were like just a whole slew of new announcements. Sure. But many of them are in, in the range of 20 to 40% cuts in the capital spending that they had planned to spend in 2020. For Canada alone, the total is up to about $3 billion of cuts that have been made over what was expected to be spent already. Yeah, and it's going to be more than that because $3 billion is just the tip of the iceberg. I think we're in a situation where if these prices persist over the course of a year, we're going to lose something like $40 billion worth of cash flow. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about some yeah, of that we're going to talk end. about yeah. some of that. So, I mean, it's just uh, staggering, uh, the situation, and the fact that it's so extreme means that we have to think differently about the issues, and that uh, when we think about government help in terms of whether it's the airline business, the hospitality industry, and so on, and now the oil and gas industry as well, because it employs couple hundred thousand people still. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not only that, right? Like, you know, just yet last night, my the YMCA's across Calgary closed. Oh. The libraries have closed. Hotel, um, motel yeah. owners, rental car agencies, truck rental agencies. I mean, yeah. it just trickles and permeates through the whole economy. Yeah. So there's a lot of lost jobs here that will start showing up over the next yeah. Uh, yeah. several weeks. Yeah. I do want to come back to the supply thing quickly and just say that one thing that we're really watching is U.S., production? Will it decline? And there is definitely good signs of that. You talked about the cash flow of the industry being curtailed so much, but I had a good quote from Parsley Energy, which Mm -hmm. is a U.S. Permian producer, a smaller producer, and they put out a quote that said, if the price of oil was $50 at WTI, they would have $200 of free cash flow. 
reducing the price to 30 to 35 reduces their cash flow to 85 million. So, you know, all things the same, they're going to cut their spending by more than half because they're just not going to have yeah. the cash and flow. And so to the, do rig, it. the rig count in the US is going to get slashed. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet. I just checked last week, it still actually moved up. Yeah. I think it's going to take. I don't know, several That's a backwards-looking number, right? That's a backwards-looking number. Yeah, it takes a while. Like, the rigs that are working today, they were uh, put to work probably Mm -hmm. months ago. So it's going to take some time. And I think there's going to be about a three-month lag between when we start seeing those rigs dropping, which may happen in the next two, three weeks, Mm -hmm. and when we actually see supply dropping. But I do think we're going to see a big drop. IHS Market just came out today saying that they expect U.S. crude oil production could drop by 2 to 4 million barrels per day over the next 18 months. Wow, that's huge. Yeah depending on how things play out. There's a lot yeah. of unknowns here. Yeah, there are. So, But that is possible. Okay, on so a very day. dynamic situation and a very uncomfortable situation. I wish we had more good news to share amidst all of that's going on. But maybe we should wind our minds back, oh, say, 700 years. Yeah, that sounds good. We can always learn from the past, Peter. Well, we Peter's sure, always good at we that. We sure can. Yeah. So if we wind our minds back to probably the greatest pandemic ever, which was the bubonic plague of 1347 to 1352, it was a devastating plague that stretched from Europe all the way into Asia. And some accounts suggest that 200 million people died in Europe. Anywhere from 30 to 50% of the population perished as a consequence of the bubonic plague, otherwise known as the Black Death. And so rather than dwell on those sorts of grim numbers and statistics, there are some business lessons and takeaways because when the Black Death occurred, there was a precipitous drop-off in demand for key products. And back then, of course, it was an agrarian society, dominantly. And so the first consumer product drop-off was that for food. And so food products at that time were milled. The grains were milled either using four types of energy sources. Human hand power, where people used to basically crush the grains between two stones uh, to mill the flour by hand. Or they would use a horse tied to what's called a horse mill, where you would have two big rotating stones called millstones. And the grains used to be fed in, and the horse would go round and round and round in a big circle, turning the stone, and you would make flour that way. The next step up in sophistication would be a water mill using run of the river and uh, using some cogs and gears to turn a shaft and the millstones. And finally, windmills, big windmills that used to do it. It's interesting that that hierarchy going from human to horse to water to wind also had a cost structure. The windmills were the highest cost sources of energy. That surprises me because they should put out so much more. Yeah, you'd think so. Uh, But they were the highest cost because the mechanics inside were rather complicated. There was wooden axles and cogs and gears uh, that had to be maintained by carpenters, which were the skilled labor and effectively you can think of it as the service industry of the day. Ditto for the water mills. They needed a lot of servicing. Lesser so for the horse mill and, of course, for the human power. It was the cheapest, lowest cost producer. So when you had a precipitous demand for food, you had a precipitous demand for the energy needed to grind the grains. And the first to stop, of course, were the wind and the water mills because they were the highest cost producers. But interestingly, what also happened was that the carpenters and the skilled service workers were put out of work. And unfortunately, uh, many of them died as well because they caught the plague. Uh, The lesson really is is that uh, when the demand for food came back after the pandemic was over, of course, it was very difficult to ramp up 
the wind and the water modalities because the service industry had been completely right. disrupted. The workers were gone. Those skills had been lost. The skills had been lost. Going. Yeah, and I think that the lesson here today is very apt when we think about the economies that are under siege, whether it's the airlines, the service, all the, the pilots and the workers and so on. We have to make sure that the service people and the service infrastructure stays intact, the people. And you can extend that all the way down through many industries and certainly the oil and gas industry where we have already noted that the service industry is going to be under tremendous pressure. It already is. Uh, the layoffs have already started in the field. And if we lose skilled labor, a la the carpenters of 700 years ago, then we're going to have a real problem ramping up again. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said, back in the medieval ages, up to 30 to 50% of the people were killed by the pandemic back then. But today, we're certainly not expecting that. But what's going to happen is we're going to start to see a shift in the emphasis on the medical side of this to the job-killing side of this. And that's what we need to protect against, the job-killing side of this. This is the kind of event that just sort of guts an entire supply chain And this is something that we need to really be concerned about. And when I think about the government aid, I think of it in terms of triaging and trying to understand which are the industries uh, in our economy that are vital, which Mm -hmm. are the ones that have the potential to be decimated first, and make sure that we preserve those. Because when we get out of this situation, which we inevitably will somehow, uh, that we want to make sure that we have a smooth and functioning return back to normalcy. Mm-hmm. And, and so the skilled workers that are harder to substitute are, should be a priority, Absolutely. You know, whether, no matter what sector it is. It, the skilled yeah. workers, the ones that have a lot of tacit knowledge, the ones, you know, I mean, many jobs, for example, uh, in the oil field service industry require months and months of safety training, months and months of equipment training. And if you lose those people permanently, then the ability to ramp back up just mm-hmm. takes so much longer. Well, and this is not just a Canadian issue, right? No. This is going to happen no. in the oil patch around the world it's if we see the, these yeah. sorts of yeah. numbers. Uh, and, and to put it in perspective, I, I'll just give you, we're actually going to release this in our ARC charts this week. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But we will show you a table that we have on the back page of the ARC charts that shows the amount of revenue, cash flow, operating costs, and ultimately how many wells drilled we think could happen this year, but compare that to previous years. And we have revised our estimate for 2020. I'll just say this is very dynamic if we didn't get that. You know, we we will probably revise this many times in Mm -hmm. the next several months, but this is our first go at it. It does assume a recovery in prices over the second half of the year from where we are today, and depending on how things go, that may or may not happen. One way or another, we know that sub $30 or even $30 a barrel is just uneconomic for a vast majority of the world's oil industry. Anywhere from cash flow break even and no money to drill more wells, which means the declines kick in. And uh, as you noted, potentially in the United States, we could see two to four million barrels a day. Mm-hmm. Depending on how things go, yeah. according to yeah. IHS. So, but I think that's know, possible looking at the decline rates that are yeah, there. Yeah. And uh, price signals have a very powerful way. And so, I mean, in a perverse way, the lower the price goes, the faster we're going to mm-hmm. see resolution. And to give you a perspective, four million barrels a day of drop in the U.S. over a year would pretty much be no rigs running just to get that off the background decline of the existing wells. And in Canada, I mean, there's a scenario where we have very little activity for the rest of the year because of the prices that we're at. Mm-hmm. So our base case is assuming that revenues go from about 118 in 2019 down to 81 
billion. That sounds like a lot of money, but when you consider that the operating costs of the industry are in the range of $47 billion, most of that money goes to just paying uh, operating costs. And then there's other like royalties and taxes and other things that need to be paid. And so all that's left is about $18 billion of cash flow. We think that that would translate into about 2,400 wells. But when we look at what we've probably already drilled this year, we could have drilled close to 70% of those wells already in the first quarter. So that means very little activity for the services well, industry every, yeah, for the rest of the yeah, year. Yeah, not only is the money not there, everybody's just hunkering down. I mean, this is what's happening until we get some clarity and visibility, which I'm hoping we're going to see. Uh, it's not going to be in, measured in the next few weeks, but I think within a couple months, we'll see some different uh, clarity on what's going on, not only with the pandemic, but the markets, just everything. Right. And maybe what the price war, if it, they're yeah. going to stick to this strategy of really yeah. flooding the market yeah. when there is not any demand for it. Yeah. Like, are, are they actually going to be able to produce at these levels when there's nowhere yeah. to put the Well, oil? you flood the market, you drown yourself. I mean, this is where we're headed. Yeah. Uh, if they continue to, uh, you know, you lose 10 million barrels and they add to, like, where are you going to put 12 million barrels yeah. a day? I mean, the other concern to me is just if we fill these storage tanks around the world, that can create a long-term problem. It takes a long yeah. time to get rid of that storage build. Yeah. You know, so you the don't want it to you know, It's not going to happen. I mean, 12 million barrels a day, if that's the number, okay, if that's the number, is six super tankers a day. Like, so you're going to fill up six super tankers a day. And by the way, the, the, the tanker rates are going way up mm-hmm. because they're in demand. Like, where are they going to go? Right. And if they're Who's even accept those crews, if they're yeah. even if they're even available, so it's it's just you know my opinion it's just not going to happen. Okay, so check out that table on our website. We'll continue to update it. We'll yeah. be continuing to update you by having regular podcasts. Obviously, these are difficult times for everyone. Stay healthy. I know you've got a lot of concerns, not only just with the oil economy, yeah. but with what's going on in many of your personal lives right now. Yeah, it's 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 really really disheartening the situation, and uh, definitely. We hope everybody stays healthy and safe until the next time. All right. Thank you for joining our podcast. If you like this podcast, please rate us on the app that you listen to and tell someone else about us. For more ideas and insights, visit arcenergyinstitute.com.